Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Last Sunday, we entered into the longest season of the church here, this, these Sundays after Trinity, which most people recognize clearly as we put the green on the altar and I'm wearing my green stole, and which we will see and remain in this green season for the next five months. Green remaining on the altar till at least October, and then, even then, sporadically thereafter until Advent. The green on the altar reminds us this is the season of growth, of Christian life, where, the, where we focus on, in the readings and in the lessons, that life we live as baptized Christians in Christ, ones in whom the Holy Spirit therein dwells. And over the course of these next five, six months, where in many ways the season is broken down into three mini-seasons, we spend these first couple months focused on what is justification? How are we made right with God, and what does that mean? Then we move over for a couple of months into the sanctified life. What does that life look like as we're in the world? And then as we move into October, we begin to focus on that which is to come. The end times, our Lord's judgment, and the life eternal. And as we go through, we come across some difficult texts both here and at the end of the season especially, one such as where we hear these last words of our Lord, For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. And I think maybe I've mentioned that before, but these are the texts where that response almost seems to be more of a question than a statement. This is the gospel of the Lord? How is that good news that there will be those who are excluded? Today, as we deal with our lesson today, it is focused strictly and sharply on the teachings of justification. And normally when we think of justification, we think about that in that positive sense, how we are saved by grace through faith and not of our works. One might ask, where's the negative side of justification? And it's right there. It is the recognition that all are forgiven, but not all are saved. We'll touch on that in a moment. Here, as Jesus shares this parable of the banquet, it is a message that applies not only to ancient Israel, but also to us. At first glance, it might seem it is that lesson which talks about how God gave his word to a special group of people, first to Abraham and then through Jacob, who he renamed Israel. He established the nation which, through which his son would be born, the ones who had the word of God, and so, yes, this parable does directly apply to the Pharisees of the days, the ones who had the word of God and should have recognized Jesus. Yet even when they did, because some of them did, they still rejected him. And so it is a parable warning that they would be excluded from the kingdom for rejecting him. But it's also a parable that continues on today. For whether you were born a Jew or a Gentile, whether you were a descendant of Abraham or one who was born from the nations outside of Israel, once you are baptized, once you are brought into the kingdom of God, you are part of the new Israel. You are a citizen of this heavenly kingdom. And there is a stark warning for us today. Yes, we are saved by grace through faith, but do not think that means you cannot lose the faith. The warning our Lord has for us today is a sharp, uh, a sharp point that says, if you walk away from me, you lose out on the gifts I give you. Indeed, 
As Jesus went to the cross of Calvary, as he hung from that tree, as he proclaimed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, as he declared that it is finished, he was declaring that the sins of all people, yes, are completely forgiven. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, whether you live a life of sacrifice in the spirit of a Mother Teresa, or whether you're the worst of all criminals of history, such as an Adolf Hitler, your sins have been covered by the blood of Christ. Yet do not confuse universal justification with universal salvation. This does not mean by any means that either are saved. For the one who commits great atrocities and remains ignorant or remains steadfast in that sin, refuses to repent, refuses to accept and receive their Lord, stand outside the kingdom. As truly does one who does such great sacrifices, commits their entire life to helping in others, who relies on those works and not on our Lord. No, Jesus warns of the danger of those who have been invited to the banquet, those who know the banquet is occurring, and those who walk away. In some ways, I might be preaching a little bit to the choir here today, because the fact that you are here, you know where the banquet is, you have gathered for the banquet. But let me put this into your ears as well as a warning and a reminder. Because it is easy, and especially in the summertime, and I might add, probably especially this summer, after having been locked up for so long and having been confined to our houses because of the pandemic, that desire to be out and about, to be where we go, to visit, to be on vacation, to go forth. And let me encourage you, what our parable is about most specifically, is recognizing where God is present for his salvation and for his grace. For yes, Jesus is everywhere. He is present on the golf course. He is present at the campground. He is present on the beach. He is present at your relatives' homes. But he's not present there for salvation. He's present there for life, for sustaining what goes on, for providing for your daily needs. But it's here in this place that he has promised to give you the gift of eternity. Where the word of God is preached into your hearts and the power of the Spirit strengthens your faith. Where we receive the gift of life at the altar as we do partake of the eternal feast. And we receive the gift of the price he paid. His body and blood shed for you is today present and offered. But the distractions of this world can often become great. Now, I am by no means going to tell you that if you skip church one Sunday because you were out camping, that you suddenly have stepped outside the kingdom of God and lost your faith. That's not what our Lord is saying. However, let us also recognize how one Sunday can become two Sundays, can become a month of Sundays, can become a year of Sundays. It's a lot easier to slide down the hill than to walk up it. And so it is important for us to reflect on what is important in our lives. Jesus confronted many, or the, the servants confronted many, said, here's the banquet. I have to go tend to my fields. I have to go tend to my cattle. I was just married. I have to attend to my wife. These are all important things. Jesus is not neglecting that. 
We are called to be in vocation, to serve our neighbor through our jobs, to love our family. But, and Jesus warns on this on several occasions, don't let the gift become the God. And don't let the gifts that God gives us become excuses for why we ignore his word. And again, I recognize also how in, when we are called to a vocation and when we're serving in a job, yeah, sometimes that conflicts with the Sunday morning. But if it's constantly conflicting with when we gather for God's word, maybe it's time to ask, is there something else we can do? And I, that's a very difficult decision, especially in maybe in a day and age where jobs are not a dime a dozen. But again, what is important? The gifts of this life, the needs of this life are of great value. But they mean nothing if we neglect the gift of eternity, if we turn our back on the Lord. And so we consider then, what is the difference between the saved and the lost? lest you think this is all about decision theology or about you making your own way into heaven by deciding to come to church on a Sunday. We see a clear distinction between those who are in the banquet and those who are outside. First of all, look at the language. When the banquet is empty, the master says, Go, gather the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Bring them in. And when there was enough room, the master again said, Go and compel them to come in. Here's the amazing truth. For we who are here this morning, sure, you made some decision about getting up, but the reason why you're here is because it is the Spirit who moved you in your heart to come here. The one who gave you that desire to be here. The one who gave you the faith to recognize you need to be here. Apart from him, you would be like the masses who view this as maybe at best a social custom to meet up with other people, or more likely a worthless use of time that could be better spent sleeping in or doing other things. Might also have been the spirit who maybe didn't quite give you the desire, but showed you the law which kicked you out of bed and said, I need to be in church, not simply sleeping in. But either way, it is the spirit who brought you here. It is God's will that gave you the the need to be in this place at this time. For it is the Spirit who calls and gathers you. It is our Lord who is the author and perfecter of your faith. It is his work alone which brings you into his kingdom and gives you that desire for good works, both towards him, where we love God by gathering where he is present to hear his word, and indeed as we love our neighbor through what we do in our daily lives. But look at those who rejected it. They're the ones who gave excuses, who said, I can't come. And one of those irreconcilable mysteries of the faith, you are here because of God's will, because of God's love, because of God's mercy. But it is your rejection that would keep you from it. As you get caught up in the cares of this life, as you become attached to that which, is, which the Lord gives you more than to the Lord himself. I understand clearly the desire to enjoy God's creation. As I'm sure most of you know, my family and I enjoy many times away as we go out camping or partake with friends, as we engage in things we do in the community. But let us take heart and cherish what God has given us above all. And recognizing that this life is but a moment. 
that eternity is where is our proper place. To remember why we are in this world, to be the ones who are the servants who go forth, to take that word of encouragement, of even compelling to our neighbors, to say this is where you need to be. To be engaged in the world for the purpose of sharing with them the love which you have been given through Christ our Lord. And let us understand and remember where we find the strength to do that. There's an old German saying, man ist was man ist, which sounds actually a little better in German than English, and it gets translated as maybe what we also have commonly heard, you are what you eat. And while that might be good advice when you're dieting, it's actually very applicable to our Christian life. For what is it that is the, most pro the biggest priority in your life? Is it getting ahead so that you can make money, so that you can be rich and powerful and be wherever you want? Is it making friends so that you can be popular? Is it what, something of this life? Or do we recognize that it is where God's word is, that our Lord is the thing that is above all, the one who is the source of all good things? And so let us partake of him. He is the bread of life. Let us partake of the feast and feast on his word, feast on his supper, feast on his promises. Let us gather together, be comforted. For as we do, as we seek his kingdom, there's an amazing truth that all things shall be put in their place and all things shall follow through. And all these things shall be given to us. The Lord has promised, the Lord will come through even as he always has. Thanks be to God, amen. We rise. And in the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.